It's really easy as a follower of Jesus to have these really big thoughts about God, big thoughts about theology, which is a great thing, but God isn't interested in our big thoughts. He's interested in a changed life. And we have to make sure that we figure out what does it look like to walk this stuff out in real time. I've said it before that one of the reasons a lot of people don't believe in Jesus is because they've met someone along the way who does believe in Jesus, but their faith hasn't reached their feet. How you live really does matter. Today, Pastor Daniel explains that your faith should be more than mere words. Sadly, though, that's not always what's happening. And that's why lots of people are turned off by Christianity. They've met too many people who don't allow what they know about Jesus to reach their hands and feet and change how they live. Fortunately, the book of James offers you a roadmap to how to live a life that's transformed and directed by Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in James chapter 5 as he begins his message, Three Important Reminders. So I had the absolute best week this week. It was just an amazing, just an amazing week. And you might say, well, Sofusco, like, what happened? Well, a lot of awesome things happened. But one of the highlights of my week was I walked into the office here at Crossroads, and my assistant, Diana, gave me an open box of Twinkies. (laughs) And I was just like, oh, it's going to be a great day. Because I'm I'm thinking it's second breakfast. I had regular breakfast, and I had Twinkie breakfast. And so I was super stoked. But she handed me a box of Twinkies. Now, Diana and I have been working together long enough that Diana doesn't hand me Twinkies, a box of Twinkies normally, because she knows that an open box of Twinkies is an empty box of Twinkies. Right, and so so she knows better, and so so she hides them. But she like handed me a box of Twinkies, and she's just like, "Hey, uh, we want you to make a video on why you're thankful for Twinkies." And I'm like, "I love my job." Like like not everyone gets a job where like they hand you a box of Twinkies. They say, "Make a video on how why you are thankful for Twinkies." But like I truly am thankful for Twinkies, and and it's so funny because I'm like, man, I just love these these little Twinkie things, and you know, and and I, I, then I started thinking like as I have this box, I'm going to the place where I record uh, all the videos, like the two minute messages and all that stuff. I'm walking there, and I'm like having like this discussion with myself, and so the first discussion I had was, you know, I have to be careful eating all these Twinkies because I'm not as young as I used to be. Anyone have that discussion with themselves? Yeah, like when I was like 20, it was like I could like rock whatever I wanted. I could eat like, you know, steak at midnight and everything was fine. But now I'm 45 and not only do I have to be careful with eating it all, but then like the stomach doesn't work as well and I wake up lethargic. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about? That's how it goes, right? And so, so I'm having like these like this middle-aged discussion with myself about what's going on. And I'm like, oh man, you know. And then I started thinking about all the funny interactions I have with people about my love of Twinkies. Because if, if you tell people... I I love coffee. No one ever says, do you really love coffee? Right? If you say, I love chocolate, no one ever says, do you really love chocolate? But I tell people I like Twinkies and people are like, do you really love Twinkies? Like as if I'm lying about it, you know? But, but like, I mean, some of you, you think I say I love Twinkies. You're like, what? Does he really like them? Like I had someone asked me recently, like, is that like a shtick that you have? Like the Twinkie shtick? It's like, no, like 
They're Twinkies. But then I started thinking, like, like my, my love of Twinkies began at a young age because when we were kids, we used to go on Saturday mornings, we'd go get bagels. And I'm from New Jersey, so we ate like real bagels. Now, some of you are like, man, are the bagels in New Jersey that good? Yes, they are. There's just something about the water and the dirt, and it's just perfect, you know? <laughs> so, like, on Saturday morning, my dad would be like, hey, who wants to go bageling? And we go to the bagel place called Eli's Bagels, which is around the corner from my house. And one of the kids, so I have two sisters, so there's three of us. Each one of us got to go with dad. And when you went bageling with dad, you got to choose one of the hostess snacks that was there at the counter. So this was long before you had, like, a million snack cakes. There was just, like... Twinkies, Susie Q's, and if you were feeling really crazy, you'd buy snowballs. Do you remember those things? A couple of you. The snowballs, you had to be feel really, really saucy to get the snowballs because they're kind of weird. I had snowballs recently. Don't do it. It's, it's gotten weirder over time. But back in the day, you had to be in, like, and if you're older, you know about the snowballs and the Susie Q's. So, so I would always get the Twinkies. And so it was like, I'd go with my dad. We'd go bageling. We'd get bagels. After we were done carving out, we eat more carbs and we eat Twinkies. So I fell in love with Twinkies at an early age. And so I'm having like, this is what's going on as I'm walking to the place where I'm recording these videos. I'm having all these thoughts. And, and so and then finally, as I'm walking, in, I turn the box over and I look at the nutritional information, (laughs) which is not something you do when you're Italian, because when you're Italian, there's like three main food groups, fat, carbs, and sugar. And I know the Twinkies got those three in there, so I'm not really worried about it. So I'm not really like a carb counting kind of a guy, right? But sure enough, I turn around and look at the, I look at the, the, the nutritional information and one thing stands out. I'm like, I'm looking at it, right? And all of a sudden I look and I'm like, there's like the light bulb went on. It's like the heavens opened and the angels started singing. Because I realized, I'm looking at it, the nutritional information on the box of the Twinkies is for two Twinkies and not one. I've been spending my whole life thinking this one Twinkie is 280 calories, which I can do. But when it comes to the second Twinkie, I'm like, I better not do that. I mean, 560 calories of Twinkies might be a little bit intense. But the nutritional information was for two Twinkies, which means I can eat twice as much and get the same amount of calories. And I got excited about that. Because I've I've been deprived in my, I didn't realize that I was only doing 140 calories of Twinkies. So now I'm like, is that good news? I mean, that's like really good news. Now some of you are like, Fusco, why are you telling us this? Well, because growing up, my parents used to always remind me as I was growing up, they said, you know, Daniel, you got to make sure you understand the whole story. Don't miss the details. I started thinking about that because my whole life I've missed, I didn't realize I could have been eating so many more Twinkies. So I'm going to make up for lost time going forward. I was actually going to bring the box out here with you guys to show you it all. But then I know I would have eaten the Twinkies the whole time anyway, and it would have been allowed. So, but you know, it's also funny as I was thinking about this, I actually looked up online because you can find anything on the internet, you know, how healthy Twinkies are. And do you realize, Google it, baby that Twinkies are 70% more healthy than all the other cakes you can come up with. <laughs> I don't know why I told you that, but just do with that what you will. But I, I'm, I'm such a model of healthfulness. But, but I, I bring it up because I always just think of like, when all this happened, I'm like, ah, oh, my parents always reminded me, like, make sure you, you got the whole story. You don't have part of the story. And I bring that up because we've been studying the book of James together, where the rubber meets the road. And, I, and it's been a great study, hasn't it been, as we've been going through the book of James. What does it look like 
for faith in Jesus to land where the rubber meets the road in real life. And the book of James is super practical, right? It's like, it's about walking our faith out. And I think this is really important because, you know, it's really easy as a follower of Jesus to have these really big thoughts about God, big thoughts about theology, which is a great thing, but God isn't interested in our big thoughts. He's interested in a changed life. And we have to make sure that we figure out what does it look like to walk this stuff out in real time. I've said it before that one of the reasons a lot of people don't believe in Jesus is because they've met someone along the way who does believe in Jesus, but their faith hasn't reached their feet and their hands and their mouth. Like the church hasn't always been a great witness to Jesus, a distinctively Christian view of how to live in Christ. And so we've been studying the book of James together and James in bringing his letter to an end gives us three important reminders. So he wants to close the book out with, here's three important reminders that James writes in his letter that's for you and I. So open up your Bibles, James chapter five. We're gonna take verses 13 to 20 together. The last seven verses of James's epistle. So if you brought your Bible, open up James is between Hebrews and 1 Peter towards the end of your Bible there. And uh, if you're like, hey, I don't really like books, Fusco, then pull out your phone. We know you like that. And uh, go to your favorite browser window, type in James 5, colon 13 to 20. I want you to be able to read along. And I think what's so cool about this, and I, and I want to encourage you, I've been thinking about the people of God, you all, studying the scriptures. And, you know, I've been reminded that one of the gifts that I get as a pastor is I get the pleasure of taking a section of scripture and just soaking in it for a while. And I really wanna encourage you to start doing that in your reading as you're reading through books of the Bible, you're doing our Bible reading plan. When was the last time you just took like four or five verses and you just read it every single day and you soaked in it, marinated in the scriptures? Because one of the things that I've found is I've been teaching the Bible now for a couple decades is that it's a gift to soak in a section of scripture. Because as you read the same passage over and over again, different things hit you in different ways. And it's one of the gifts that I get as, a, as one of your pastors and, and all anyone who teaches the Bible gets, but it's something that you can do on your own because on a first reading of something, certain things will minister. On a second reading, because certain things are already ministered, there's other things that kind of land. And if you were to take the same passage of scripture for a week, all these different parts of the scriptures begin to come on out and bring spiritual nourishment and encouragement and correction. And so it's just a, a cool way to uh, supplement your, your study is just to pick a section and marinate it for a while. Grab a journal and be able to write. So listen to what James says as he brings his letter to a close. This is James chapter five, picking up in verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So the very first reminder is that you and I, we need to pray for healing. We need to pray for healing. Now, I want you not to think for one second that this is like some random reminder. James is talking about how do we live life in faith with Jesus? And really, if you look at verse 13, he, he really encourages us that in order to be a Christian living in this world, our lives should be marked by prayer and praise. 
Because notice what he says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. But then he really unpacks the prayer part. But really, our whole lives are contained within verse 13, that things are going good and you're happy. And if you're happy and you know it, what should you do? Clap your hands. No, you're supposed to praise God. But we all learned it as a kid. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. So you guys know that. So listen, if you're happy and you know it, you should be praising God because God is the person who has made everything happy for you. But when you're not happy, it's because something is going on. There's some sort of suffering. Maybe there's life is confusing or there's health problems or there's relational issues or whatever's going on. So when you're suffering, what should you do? We should pray. Because prayer is the word that we use for having a conversation with God. It's, it's the word that we use on how our relationship with God is cultivated. Now, here's the thing. I was just talking to someone recently and said, man, Fusco, it must be so cool to be a pastor because you have so much time to pray. And I said, you know, it must be so cool to own your own business because you have so much time to pray. And it's funny, the person just kind of looked at me and I said, listen, prayer is what we do. It is like oxygen for a follower of Jesus. Because here's what I want to tell you. If you don't pray, you're going to make decisions based on the worldly wisdom that James talked about earlier. Because you're like, I know what's going on. But James in James chapter one says, if any of you lack wisdom, let us ask of God who gives wisdom liberally and without reproach. So he begins his letter by saying, if you need wisdom, pray. And then he ends his letter by saying, hey, and guess what? Be a person of prayer. You can always tell how dependent on God you are by the amount of time that you pray. Your self-sufficiency is measured by your prayerlessness. Now, I'm not saying this in a way to be condemnatory because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But I am saying it by way of challenge for all of us because I believe that God wants all of our lives, our houses to be houses of prayer. But you gotta ask yourself honestly, on a given day, how much time do you spend praying. Now, I want to speak for a moment to those of you who are like, you know, Fusco, that's like super cool, but like I just got saved and like I don't even know how to pray. Here's what I want to tell you. When you're first praying, it's okay to not know what you're doing. It's like when you have a little baby. When that baby starts talking, I don't expect a newborn baby to be able to be like, you know, give me a a dissertation in a field on a subject. The baby looks at you and goes, and you go, and it's a beautiful thing. And you're super stoked. And at some point, the baby says, mama or dada. It's like, when you begin, you have to begin where you are. And God's not like, oh, I can't believe you just prayed like that. It's just so messed up. Your theology's all wrong. God doesn't ever say that. God loves it when we interact with him. So if you've never prayed before, it's okay to not know what you're doing. Now, here's the deal. If you are a person of prayer, as we move in our relationship with God, our prayer lives should mature as we mature. It's kind of like, I was thinking about this, like in my marriage to my bride, Lynn, when we first, when God first brought us together, we didn't know each other all that well. And so it was a little bit like, I'm putting my best foot forward. And yeah, I, I'm trying to put everyone's best foot forward to try and make sure I can marry this beautiful woman who loves Jesus, you know? And it's like, 
But then as you're together longer and as you're closer, then you take the masks off and you are who you really are. And in a lot of ways, that's how prayer works, where maybe in the beginning, like your prayers are very formal. But then as you walk with God longer, your prayers become maybe a little more casual. I always think about this because I can tell if someone knows me or not by kind of the way that we talk. Like, like just this week, I got a piece of mail for Reverend Fusco, <laughs> which we all know I never met that person. Because if they met me, no one's calling me Reverend Fusco. And no, I know some of you smart Alex out there are going to start calling me Reverend Fusco. Like, like, I'm not Reverend, you know what I mean? So if someone doesn't know me, they'll call me Reverend Fusco. And if someone knows me, they'll call me Pastor Daniel, right? But if someone feels super comfortable, they're like, what's up, Fusco? Right? And, and there's a comfortability that happens over time. And listen, and, you know, somebody just asked me the other day, they're like, here at Crossroads, they're brand new. Like, so how should I refer to you? I'm like, you can call me Daniel or Fusco or Pastor Daniel if you want. I might, but just don't call me late for dinner. You know, <laughs> just kind of looked at me. But, but like, the more you know someone, the more comfortable it becomes. And prayer functions that way. That as you relate more with God, as you pray more, you become more comfortable. Maybe in the beginning, you're like, oh, God of all creation, the most high and holy one. And then after a while, you're like, Lord, I need you right now. Like, you know, and, and, and it's not that we lose the reverence, but as the relationship deepens, the relationship becomes more comfortable. And God, I believe, wants to do a work because he is inviting us to pray for healing. Now, verses 14 and 15 get really fascinating, and there's a lot of scholastic discussion about this because notice in verse 14, he says, is anyone among you sick? Now, the, the word that James uses for sickness is also translated through your Bible as weakness. So it can speak of physical weakness or sickness or spiritual sickness. And he says, well, what should you do if someone's weak, whether physically or spiritually? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So you should ask for people to come and pray. And then the elders are supposed to anoint with oil. Now, what makes this even more complicated is the anointing of oil gets people tripped up because this was written long before you can go into your favorite store and there's like a huge section of like, hey, you got a runny nose, take this. You got a messed up stomach, take some Pepto-Bismol. Like, like there's all these different things. Back in the day, they didn't have any of that stuff. So if you were sick, you know, they would take oil and they'd rub it on you and oil was a precious commodity, right? So, so it was used to ease physical ailments, but the early church always anointed with oil as a sign of the Holy Spirit, because the Bible in the scriptures talks about the spirit being oil. The priest would get anointed, dump oil on them, and the, beard would, and the oil would run down. So what ends up happening is these verses become a battleground for people who believe that you should pray for physical healing, or people who think you shouldn't pray for physical healing. And depending on which side of the aisle they come on, really we're speaking of the charismatic gift of healing. If someone believes in the charismatic gift, these are the verses they use. And if someone doesn't, they say, this is not about praying for physical healing. This is about, you know, spiritual healing. And they use the same verses. Now, the beauty of us here at Crossroads is we think all of these discussions are silly because we just like the word of God and we believe that God can heal physically and God does want to heal spiritually but we don't feel like have the need to fight about any of this stuff because I think the fights are silly and we do. And so really what's going on here is you can take these verses physically or spiritually and they both work perfectly. So the thing is, if you are physically sick, you should ask for prayer. And if you are feeling spiritually weak, you should ask for prayer. 
So no matter how we interpret it, either way, the goal is prayer. Now, by the time you get to verse 15, it says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Now, the question is, will it save the sick spiritually or redeem them, save them from the illness, right? And the Lord will raise him up. So the Lord will do this work of resurrection and restoration. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And so verse 15 really points at the end to that spiritual side of it. Now, we know, of course, that the Bible teaches that God is the Lord who heals us. That's Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. It's an important verse where, as God says, listen, I'm the Lord your God, and I'm going to bring these, I'm going to bring these plagues on Egypt. He says, but I'm going to, if you, if you keep yourself set apart, I'm going to be the Lord who heals you. So God is a God of healing. So ultimately, now the question becomes, does God heal everybody? Right? Because it's the prayer of faith. So does God heal everyone? What's the answer? The answer is yes. Ultimately, when we go home to be with the Lord, you are completely healed. Can I get an amen? Amen. So ultimately, God heals everybody. But the question, see, right it says, does God heal everybody? Everyone's always thinking in the here and now. And you know what the answer to that is? Not always. Because it's not always God's will that everyone be healed. And I know that that's the case because everybody except Jesus dies at some point in this journey. Jesus died, he rose again. But nobody has enough faith to stay alive forever. Even Methuselah, who according to the Bible lived the longest, Methuselah died too. And really in God's economy, Methuselah died as a young person because he was only about a thousand years old and he was created to live for eternity. So in the light of eternity, a thousand young whippersnapper. So really what you have is that no matter how much faith you have, sometimes God does not choose to heal various physical ailments. It is in God's prerogative to not heal certain ailments. Now, does God heal ailments sometimes? Absolutely. Now the question becomes, well, how will we know? Well, you pray in faith, and if God heals you supernaturally, then you praise God. And if God doesn't heal you supernaturally, you praise God. And if God chooses to use a doctor, you praise God. See, it's like, this, is, it, this stuff is so simple, but people want to get all worked up about this. Like, there will be videos about me because I'm saying this stuff, but it's just biblical. Like, God has a purpose and plan in sometimes healing, sometimes not. It's like, you know, I had someone recently said to me, I was wearing a mask, and they said, Pastor Daniel, I mean, you're a pastor. You have strong faith. Why would you wear a mask? I'm like, bro, I believe in Jesus. I still wear a seatbelt in a car. Like, I have strong faith, but I'm not going to jump out of an airplane at 30,000 feet not wearing a parachute. No matter how strong your faith is, if you jump out of an airplane at 30,000 feet, you're going to bounce at the bottom, hopefully. Jesus is God wants your big thoughts about faith to transform your life at street level. And prayer is a huge part of this process. Pastor Daniel finished up today's message with the reminder that you should definitely pray for healing for yourself and others. But while God does heal everyone, that doesn't always happen in the here and now. Regardless of the answer, you can rest assured that God is with you and that he's always working to birth transformation 
joy and hope in you. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone. Text the word SAVED to 51400. S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share more about the final reminders that James brings in this letter. He'll focus on the importance of being honest about your brokenness. Transformation begins when you drag your dirt into the light and let the people of God support and pray for you. This is one more aspect of what it means to walk out your faith at street level. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, Where the Rubber Meets the Road. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.